0: In like a lion, out like a rabid lioness, hungry, robbed of her cubs, and startled by poachers in the night, you know. So I hope you're enjoying all of that. Um, What a great morning. Even though it is that outside, inside, we are having a great time. Thank you to our student worship team for leading us looking forward to hearing you some more in a, in a few more minutes today. It's just good to be with God's people. This morning our um, Newtown Kids program is taking the Sunday off because it is a fifth Sunday and so that means that we have lots more little people in the service today than we normally do. I want to extend a nice welcome to those of you from our Newtown Kids program. Thank you for being here with us. We do have coloring pages in the back for those of you who are in that Newtown Kids program or those of you who are adults and just get really bored when I talk and Need to draw pictures of things you think I might be saying. You can uh, find those in the back as well. Um, It's just good to be gathered in God's house, right? To sing gladly to the Lord, to be united together, fellowshipping with one another, submitting ourselves to the teaching of the Bible. What a wonderful occasion for us. No wonder we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's just a, a power that falls upon God's people when they get together. This morning, we're going to continue in our series in Daniel. So those of you who've been in uh, next door in the, uh, the, the kids' room, by the way, I should probably offer this disclaimer. We have a lot of fun in here, but we don't play any dodgeball. Uh, not, not in the main sanctuary, not until after the service is over. Um, and then Joe Starr will be leading a dodgeball team. You can sign up up here at 11.15 and you can, no, please don't do that, but Daniel chapter 10, we have been going through the book of Daniel, and it's been a lot of fun. We have been challenged and encouraged, and so we are in Daniel chapter 10 today. That's where our study takes us, plugging right along. And today, we're, we're, we're actually transitioning into the final prophetic portion of the book. Daniel chapter 10, 11, and part of 12 are like one big unit, and then there's a concluding uh, statement. So we are, the end is in sight for us. We're getting close to that end. Today, we're going to see a terrifying vision. We're going to meet an angelic interpreter, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about the battles on earth, probably more than we'd care to know, but uh, we're going to see a little bit of that. So if you want to go to Daniel chapter 10, it'll be on the screen behind me, I believe. I'm going to start in verse 1. I honestly haven't decided where I'm going to stop yet. I might just read the whole thing. I don't know, but let's, uh, we'll start in verse 1 this morning. Here's what Daniel says, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month... As I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me I stood up, trembling, and then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days but Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. Let's stop there. Let's offer a word of prayer this morning. Father, it is good to be gathered in your house. It is good for your people to submit themselves to your word. It is good for us to sing the testimony of your great salvation. God, you have performed wonders in our midst. With the psalmist, we say, come and see what the Lord has done. As you have made way for us, you've carved a path through the seas like you did for the Israelites in the Exodus. And from the place of our deliverance, we cry out with them, come and see what the Lord has done. Today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us with power, with the presence of your Spirit. Lord, thank you for your word and pray that you would wash over us with it, that we would be purified and sanctified and grown and challenged. God, give us clarity. Help us to understand what you're teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Daniel chapter 10 is a little bit different than some of the others because it's a the beginning of a longer portion of of uh, the scriptures it doesn't it's not nicely contained you know sometimes sometimes it's really easy because the paragraph is such that it's really uh, concise and it breaks down easily into a few pieces. This one's a little bit different. So uh, as Daniel is, is um, praying, he receives a vision. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this vision that he sees. Next week or the weeks after, we'll get to uh, some understanding of what that vision's about. But, but here's what you need to know today. The first thing we're going to look at is the occasion of this encounter. In verse 1 through 3, Daniel tells us what's going on and where he is. Like we keep saying, the time stamp, he he gives us the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And that's that's not just to tell us the timeline of events, that's to help us remember, we say almost every time he does this, that the Bible is not a fairy tale. The Bible is not some work of literary fiction. The Bible is the revelation of God to us, and it came to real people in real places in real time. And in this case, it came to the prophet Daniel, known as Belteshazzar, who was serving the king of Cyrus, or King Cyrus of Persia. It came to a real person in a real place around 536 or 535 BC, the third year of his reign. He, gives, he lets us know that, that this occurred in history. What a gift. What a gift for us to be reminded regularly that the word we study is not simply a collection of myth and dogma. So the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, this is about two years after the previous chapter and just a short time after the return of some of the Jewish exiles to Palestine. Maybe you'll remember that story that Ezra has led a group back and Daniel stayed behind in Babylon. Maybe he was not released to go or maybe he was just choosing to stay because he was like an 85-year-old man. Right? He's an old dude. He he probably can't make a trip of a couple thousand miles reasonably. It probably sounds like a little bit much. I I'm not that old. I I told George Holly. I told him this morning. I I might my, my body might be forty and a half, but my mind is the mind of an eighty five year old man. I am I'm ready. Like it's just I am gone. I the world. It's just, I just. I'm tired, right? Maybe, maybe Daniel, like me, looked at the situation and said, I'm not going to walk for thousand miles. Or maybe he was just still at work in Babylon um, or in uh, serving the king of Persia. But he stayed behind while the exiles go. And during that time, he received a vision. And the vision that he saw involved a great conflict or a great war. He saw a vision of war. And as we're about to see over the next minutes and weeks ahead, this conflict was both earthly and spiritual, because they all are. The conflicts of earth are reflective of and tied to the unseen conflicts in the heavenly places. And we'll see that a couple of times here, but that is something that we need to keep in mind daily. Daniel is in prayer and fasting for a stretch of three weeks for three weeks, this season was one of mourning. He was in sackcloth and ashes. He he didn't uh, eat wine or eat meat, or he didn't allow wine to enter his mouth. He didn't even anoint himself, which uh, at the time was uh, just a hygienic process in the the arid and, and hot climate that uh, oil would would help preserve the moisture in his skin so he was in a state of discomfort in every way possible mourning what is it that he's mourning what is he praying and fasting about well likely Daniel had gotten the report from the exiles maybe you'll remember they got to Palestine and they hit the ground running working to rebuild and they were quickly opposed and they were forced to stop in Ezra chapter 4, we're told the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. And they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. A lot of commentators think that what was going on here is that word had reached Daniel and he sought the Lord. <laughs> Interesting that that he turns, that that's his first response, kind of like Nehemiah when he hears about the condition of the exiles, right, the ones who had returned. He, He says, he finds out from his brothers how it is in Jerusalem and he finds that the walls are torn down and they're in great peril and he immediately seeks the Lord. Daniel's overcome with sadness and after all this time, they've finally been allowed to return and rebuild and now this. So he seeks the Lord and as he seeks the Lord, he sees this vision. He, one of the things that we, we can see here is that, that even though Daniel didn't go, even though he wasn't immediately affected by the, uh, by the return, he still identifies with the returning exiles as one of them. Just like when he interceded on their behalf, he identified with the plight of God's people. He here again still mourns as if he is there present. And he sees a vision. And that's really the the second point today is this, this terrifying vision. In fact, that's actually the heading in my Bible is Daniel's terrifying vision of a man. So he's in about March or April. Of 536, 535 B.C., he was physically on the banks of the Tigris River, some 20 miles away from Babylon, and he looked up and he saw a vision. He saw a man, or he saw what appeared to be a man. He looked up. It's possible that this image, this vision, was hovering above the waters of the Tigris River, which would have made it all the more discomforting for him, right? To see up and and see a hovering a uh, frightening image. He looks up and he sees a vision. And the man was clothed in linen, which is an interesting detail because so often in scriptures it was the priests who were clothed in linen garments. Significance here is that he is, he is a, a picture of holiness, that he's looking up and seeing a divine, holy image. He sees this vision of a flying or hovering uh, man, which obviously would caused terror. He was wearing a belt of fine gold around his waist. One commentator remarked that the golden belt was part of the costume of the wealthy and the royal classes in the ancient Near East. In this context, the, the symbolism may suggest that he was a king or a judge. This man is a holy visitor, and he was wearing a belt of gold, so he, he was a king or a judge uh, coming His body was like beryl or chrysolite. In other translations, it denotes a gold-colored precious stone, a flashing, um, majestic image. The Bible says that his face had the appearance of lightning, that brilliance and brightness like a flash. It says his eyes were like flaming torches, and that his arms and legs were like burnished bronze. The image was glowing. It was radiating light. It was it was it was a little bit too much to even cast your eyes on and as he spoke the th- the sound of his words because this image spoke and the sound of his words was like the sound of a great multitude of people he spoke with power and he spoke with force and he spoke with terror and who is this man who it has left us for for a long season looking at the Bible, going who is this vision? Who is this person? What is the identity of this terrifying man that Daniel sees? And it could be an angel. Some suggest it was Gabriel. It could be God Himself in the person of the Messiah. Theologians call that a Christophany. It could be the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, which would provide some understanding to us as. As for his appearance, because it's so similar to the way he's described in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. and I'll just read a portion of that. There, there John is writing and he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice... His voice was like the roar of many waters. So it wasn't like the thundering sound of many crowds, but his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. His face radiated brightness. It's very possible that Daniel is seeing an image of Jesus. Daniel alone sees the vision. Apparently, there were some other guys with him, and they can't see it. Kind of like the apostle Paul when when he was Saul on the road to Damascus, he could. Jesus appeared to him and freaked everyone else out, but they couldn't see the image. They heard it, but they couldn't see it. This, this time, Daniel is on the bank of the Tigris, and he sees the image, and the other guys don't, but they are overcome with some sense of fear and trembling. So the other people with them actually take off and run, and they go hide themselves. They're overwhelmed with fear. They just don't know why they're afraid. Do you ever feel that way? you ever just have those moments of panic? Ever have those moments of just unreasonable, irrational fear? you're not even sure why it's like these men were all overtaken by like an anxiety attack and there was no real reason that they could see for them to be afraid but they took off to run <clears throat> so here's daniel all of a sudden his whole crew leaves him he's stuck alone in front of this terrifying vision and the the effect of the vision on him was drastic He has this encounter, and the whole experience drains him of energy and all of his strength. He falls to the ground at the sound of his words and falls into a deep sleep. Did he just lose consciousness? Daniel comes face to face with this divine, angelic visitor, possibly Jesus himself, And at the sound of his words, he's so overcome, he has no strength, he collapses in a heap and maybe passes out. He's overcome. What what we need to know about all this is he is overcome with fear and trembling. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a dreadful thing. If he's standing in the presence of holiness, it leaves Isaiah undone. When God appears to people in the scriptures, they fall down. There's nothing flippant or casual about any of this. He's overcome with fear. He's trembling. He's face down on the ground. And then there's a visitor. A hand touches him in verse 10. Daniel was, was in deep sleep, and the hand touches him and, and wakes him, and this hand belongs to an interpreting angel, somebody who has been sent by God to help him understand the words and the vision that was given to him. And He says, oh, stand up. So the hand reaches him. He's, he's trembling. He's face down. He's unconscious. He's so beside himself. The hand reaches him and doesn't say that he stands him up. The hand only, all the hand does is sets him on his hands and feet still trembling Can can you imagine with me an 85-year-old man collapsed in a heap who's touched, and, and the best he can do is hands and knees shaking and trembling. Many commentators believe this is Gabriel, who has served consistently as a communicator of God's messages. And look what he says to him in verse 11. He says, Daniel, man greatly loved. This angelic messenger, or that word could also be translated highly esteemed. Greatly loved, highly esteemed. This messenger was sent from God in the midst of a three-week fast in mourning. He's overwhelmed and terrified, and the first thing that he reminds Daniel of is that he is loved. He is held in high regard by God who sent him. And he says, now listen carefully, Daniel. What he's about to hear is not easy to grasp and would have been far more difficult from the standpoint of 535 B.C. He didn't have hundreds of years of history to look back through and interpret these events. He was getting them all, it was all theory. And it was frightening. And he says, "I'm. he's going to need to be focused. He's going to need to be listening. He says, listen carefully, listen intently and stand up. I've been sent to you by God. So Daniel stands up and he's still trembling. How many of you, this is not really the point of the sermon, how many of you have ever received a calling from the Lord or been uh, reading or praying and know that God is calling you to do something and it leaves you trembling? Anybody? You're in good company. The things that God is doing in our life we, we I don't know why we do this, but we, we build this idea and we propagate this idea that if God is calling us to something, it's gonna be so much fun. It's sunshine, lollipops, and roses, it'll and be a stroll in the park. And that and then it we'll never have any fear because God is with us and he'll he'll No. The, the the most important I think the most significant thing God God's calling you to do are the ones you have to wrestle the most with your own flesh with. The most challenging things that they are the ones that leave us trembling the most fruitful things, the most beneficial, beneficial things, the, the things that actually will bring our joy, the, the, the deepest and the most sustaining things, I believe are the hardest things. You're in good company if you've ever found yourself trembling in the presence of God knowing that he has something for you and unsure if you're going to be able to stand at the end. You're in good company. He says, don't be, a, don't be afraid, which is easy for him to say because the angel didn't just see what Daniel saw. He says, from the first day you set your heart to understand, from the first day you started praying, God sent me. God heard your words the moment you began to call on him. Similar to last week's message, isn't it? At, at the sound of your voice to him, the word was sent out. He heard you when you started to pray. He, I might not have shown up here for three weeks, but he heard you and sent me when you began to pray. I want you to re- be reminded again what we said last week. God hears your prayers. He might not move today to answer them. You might not see the response you're looking for. I want to I burst your bubble because I love you. You may never see the response you're asking for. You may never, this side of eternity, see the full resolution you're looking for, the full provision you're looking for, the full healing you're looking for, but that doesn't mean that God isn't faithful and doesn't hear your prayers. That doesn't mean he's not moving actively to do something about it. It just means you might not get the answer you're looking for, and I promise you it won't come on your timeline. This angelic messenger, this is one of the craziest things in all the Bible. Verse 13, he says, listen, God sent me and I would have got here sooner, but I was tangled up with the prince of Persia. What? What just happened? So this angel has an assignment and he heads out to see Daniel, but he's withstood. Somebody stops him from getting there for three weeks He is hindered from coming to Daniel because the prince, which is a spiritual being or power that was apparently assigned to the kingdom of Persia, resisted him. He he was so tangled up that he needed Michael's backup. Michael, another angel, had to come help him fight the prince of Persia so that he could be relieved and come here. And he said, oh, by the way, I gotta get back, so I'm not gonna be here that long. And we're looking at this in the year 2019 reading this going wait a minute what is this about? That there there are angelic forces behind the scenes waging war? Uh, That wait a minute are, are you saying that some of these Dark, angelic forces have some measure of control over the kingdoms of this world? Yeah. Like, somebody, we we need to get Matt some help. That's exactly what it says, right? this, This is one of the more important themes of the day, that the conflicts we see and observe here in our world are reflective of and are expressions of a spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. So that means that those of us who embrace the teaching of the scriptures, we would say then that we believe that behind the movements and the calculations of governments around the world, that there are spiritually dark forces squaring off against angelic forces and that their battle, their battle actually affects things that are happening right here. you might say is that true how else could you explain the slaughter of the unborn how else could reasonable people stare at an ultrasound watch a heartbeat and say yeah that's not life that's that's not just physical observation that's demonic that is spiritual how else how else can you see what's happening in the world the oppression of people, the systematic, systematic genocide that we're watching. How could you watch racism and bigotry unfold and go, wow, there's not a spiritual force on top of that? It's exactly what we're saying. And it doesn't just extend to individual human behavior. This tells us that it extends to national behavior and global behavior. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting way far outside my Baptist roots right now. <laughs> Feeling a little bit uncomfortable up here. That's exactly what this Bible says, right? That that he says, look, I was coming, but I got tangled up with the, the spiritual force, the spiritual overseer, the dark spiritual overseer of, of Persia. And so we had a we had a war. But now I'm gonna come and I'm gonna give you some understanding about what is to happen to people in the latter days. Well, now that's helpful. This vision, Daniel, you're seeing, is not for right now today, but it is for later times for your people. And as the vision and interpretation will unfold in the next couple sermons, you're gonna see both the figures of Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist coming into view. So this friendly exchange between Daniel and the angelic visitor didn't have the desired effect. Look at verse 15. When he spoke in these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. It didn't work. I think he came to encourage Daniel to build him up and to edify him, and all that happened was now he's unable to speak and put his face down again. Like that? I don't think that's how the angels saw this shaking out. His posture indicates both humility and fear. Face to the ground, unable to speak, and someone touches his lips. Someone with the likeness of the children of man. Someone who had the appearance of a human being. And his lips were loosened, he was again able to speak. And when he speaks, what does he say in verse 16? This, this is too much. By reason of the vision, look what he says in verse 16. Pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. He's like, I, I can't do this. this. This is just too much for me. I don't have the strength to do this. I, I can't carry this message. I'm in pain. The the nature of this experience has rendered him nearly incapacitated. And he says, how can can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? I am weak. I'm frail. I'm unable. I'm an 85-year-old man. I don't have the strength to do this. Who am I? Who am I that you're mindful of me? Who is sufficient for this ministry? Sounds like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Sounds like David. What is the son of man that you care for him? Who are we? And he says, "I, I can't do it. It's too much. How can I speak with my Lord? There's nothing left. And the angel touches him again. And his touch strengthened Daniel. And the message given to him is wonderful. Verse nine, he says it again. Or verse 19, we didn't read that one yet. Let's read it. Verse 19, he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you've strengthened me. In his despair, And in his exhaustion, the touch of the visitor and the sound of his words brought him strength again. And what was the message he gave him? Daniel, you are loved. You are loved. God, your father, is committed to you. He adores you. You are held in high esteem. He's shown great affection for you. He has pursued you with a covenant faithfulness and an unrelenting love. Daniel, he loves you. And Daniel, you don't have to be afraid. Why doesn't he have to be afraid? Because for the last 10 chapters, we have gotten a very clear view of a God who is not subservient to the affairs of this world, but is sitting sovereignly in control of all of them. And because he has not moved from his seat of authority on his throne, we who serve him do not have to be afraid of the rising and falling kingdoms of this world. And that goes beyond just the rising and falling kingdoms of this world. Because whatever you're facing today, which threatens to unnerve you, whatever trial and pain and difficulty, whatever whatever unresolved issues, whatever sin you're battling, whatever you're dealing with right now in this moment that has the potential to lay you flat, to take your strength, to knock you incapacitated, the same message comes to you. You are loved by your heavenly father who loved you so much that he sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sin to be your ransom, to win you back. That through faith you can be united with him. You are loved and you don't have to be afraid. The God we serve knows the end from the beginning. He's not going anywhere. He's firmly in control. He said, be at peace. The overwhelming, anxious nature of your heart, just be at peace, Daniel. And then he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And as he speaks, the strength returns. And he says, Daniel, do you know why I'm here? Do you know why I've come? But now I have to return, verse 20, to fight against the prince of Persia. Apparently that guy is down but not out. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I'll tell you that... What is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So Michael and this guy are tag team partners against the prince of Persia and eventually the prince of Greece. And verse, uh, verse one of chapter 11 is actually should be included in this passage as well. And he says, and as for me, as for the angel, as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. He's gotta go. I got to get back to fighting the Prince of Persia. And after I'm done with that fight, the Prince of Greece is going to come as well. And the battle that he references here is a battle that one commentator said would continue for two centuries of Persian rule. 200 years of conflict and tension. This struggle involved all the decisions and all the relationships pertaining to the Jews during the Persian period, which would be the reconstruction of the temple, deliverance for them uh, during the time of Esther, permission for Ezra and Nehemiah to return, and their subsequent construction of the city. That there was an angelic force warring against the, the dark angelic leader of the Persian empire to secure the victory of God's people in advance of God's people during that time. That's what he says. He says, Daniel, I've come so you know that. Because what you see, Daniel, is not all that's there. And in this case, this is the best place for me to insert my plug for the matrix. I watched it the other week at the gym. It was, what is real, Neo? What what is there, right? What, What you see is not all that there is. Nearly all the commentators I read this week announced, they said that 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 first verse of 11 is included in there. The angel, angel says that in the first year of Darius, the angel was called to confirm Darius and strengthen him. So what was happening in the heavenly realms and earthly, what conflict is going on in the first year of Darius? Well, it could have been the fall of Babylon, the vision of the 77s, the decree to send some of the exiles back, all of that going on in the first year of Darius the Mede when this prince of Persia was doing his best work. The restoration of the temple and the city of Jerusalem signaled advances to God's plan to bring the Messiah and redeem sinners. Of course the enemy would have wanted to stop that. Of course the conflict would have raged in the spiritual realms. And also terrible conflict on earth. Alright, so what? What in the world does that mean for us? That is quite possibly, full disclaimer here, one of the craziest passages I've ever taught in all of my life. I've been teaching the Bible for almost 20 years. I don't think I've ever came across that kind of stuff. What does all that mean? Okay, well here, here's some things I think it means, and unfortunately it's a repeat of other things that we've already heard because the whole book has really a couple central themes, but we need to hear it once more. Just like my children sometimes need to hear things over and over and over and over again. Important things. Like, they're in the room, so I'm not gonna tell. But it's it's. (laughs) There are certain things that. right, we'll just stop there. Once again, once again, here's a first. So what? We see a prophet who's been faithful. We see a prophet in the twilight of his ministry and life, staying faithful to God. There's just something to be said about that. The endurance in the Lord that Daniel has exhibited that he's still being used, he's still receiving the visions. God's Remember, God gave him a special gift to read and interpret visions, and at 85, he's still being used powerfully to do that for us. Those of you who have, uh, who have not yet reached that milestone, I want to encourage you, keep running and don't give up. Those of you who are just starting out, run with perseverance the race that is set before you. Don't cut corners, don't cheat, don't quit, Don't give up. Stay faithful to the end. Some of the greatest gifts that Daniel has provided for the people of God these last thousands of years have come in his old age. He's faithful. Secondly, once again we see a God who is in control of world events, who reveals and discloses them long before they happen. The fall of Jerusalem, the exile, the fall of Babylon, the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire, none of it is chaotic. And if you read the history books, it sounds chaotic. And they'll try to explain it away with all kinds of natural phenomena. It's just the result of geography, the result of culture. the, The truth is God predicted it hundreds of years before it happened it wasn't chaotic it was controlled by god for his purposes and so often in our lives we see the events around us transpiring and we think that there's no way that this could possibly be worked together for good right we we know romans 8:28 all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes and we put it on bumper stickers and t-shirts and it's hanging next to our door cuz our grandmother crocheted it or knitted it or what is it cross stitch that's what it cross stitched it for us and boom right there it is i if you cross stitch it wasn't an offensive statement i'm just saying i had a bunch of those cross stitch hoop thingies in my house with this verse on romans eight twenty-eight, and we see we we know that verse to be true we hold it to be true but when all of a sudden it feels like the rug is pulled out from under us then we begin to wonder how does god work cancer for his good how does God work a broken relationship for his good? How does God work a loss of a job or a career, financial ruin for his good? How does God work the slander? Uh, how does all that work for good? And we might, we might begin to wonder, God, are, are you really faithful to do that? Can you, can, you really, can you really bring some kind of order from the chaos? And the encouragement of this passage is it was never chaos, It's never chaos. God is is controlling the affairs of this world to bring about his purposes. He's firmly in control of the coming conflict between the Medo-Persians and the Greeks. And he's also fully in control of your coming conflict as well. And thirdly, once again, we see the conflicts of earth are representative of and reflective of spiritual conflicts in the heavenly places. And trust me, I wish I had a fuller understanding of this. I don't. I don't understand fully how all that works. I'm not even able to see the effects of those battles at times. But the truth of the scriptures leads us to that conclusion. So in that sense then, let us jump to the New Testament and not forget Paul's words to us. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are to suit up and we're to put on the whole armor of God. Drawing from the strength of his might, not from the strength of our own. Remember what he says? You have a battle to fight here. For you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Man, that's overwhelming, isn't it? To think about that battle raging right now around us, above us in the midst of us. How will we ever have any hope of standing firm in that battle? Well, by putting on the full armor of God, like Paul said, by standing firm in the power of his might and the strength of his might, sounds a whole lot like what Daniel was doing for those 70 years in captivity. It sounds an awful lot like what God is calling us to do, to be faithful as exiles in this day, in this age. And by his grace... And by his strength and for his purposes, he will strengthen his church to stand for his glory and for your joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word, for its power. Lord, we don't fully comprehend all that's happening in the spiritual realms, but we do see some powerful truth today. Lord, we rejoice that there are angelic presences. God, that we have um, defenders in the spiritual realm we rejoice that you're in control as chaotic as it feels we, we submit to your leadership God it's, it's enlightening and encouraging to us to know that, that there's a spiritual battle going on it helps us to make sense of how backwards and twisted our world can be how upside down and self-absorbed people are But when when the curtain is pulled back and we see the spiritual battle raging, we get to understand a little bit more. And Lord, it it causes us to, to look with compassion on our brothers and sisters who are caught in the crossfire. Lord, I pray that you'd rescue them through the power, the liberating, freeing power of the gospel of Jesus, that you would rescue them from that present darkness. Lord, I pray that you'd give us confidence in you, strengthen you to stand firm in this day, to defend the faith, to hold the faith, to persevere in trial, to be salt and light, to rejoice in your goodness day in and day out. And God, I pray that you would use our church family to bring many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And until such time as you call us home, God, we want to be faithful like Daniel was faithful. To the very end, strengthen us for that battle, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.